Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, I'm Pastor Scott. And before I begin today, why don't you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this day, and we just thank you for this time to focus in on your word and to really learn some things about how to apply it to our lives, God. Uh, may I be able to speak clearly and speak truthfully, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that um, people who are listening, that their perspective will shift and that they'll be motivated to take a next step in their life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I'm continuing on with a message series that Josh has been taking us through called Mountains, Valleys, and the Moments in Between. And during this message series, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus found in the four Gospels of the New Testament. And one of the highlights of this series is really seeing the impact um, Jesus had on his disciples. These were regular men who were in regular jobs that he actually trained up to launch the Christian church. And what I'm curious about when I read anything in the Bible is how can I apply this to my life in the here and now? So before I get with the passage that we're going to look at today, I want to start off by telling you a little bit of a story about the development of one of my hobbies. Now, I will warn you, this story is a little bit long, and I'm actually going to use a good portion of my message today to kind of set the stage for what I really want to talk about. It might feel a little bit different because you might be actually asking yourself like, hey, when's he actually going to bring the Bible into this? So just hang with me, and I think you too will see that this makes sense. So when I was a child, you know, I lived in Missouri. And my parents used to drive us all over the United States. In fact, the places I loved going the most were the Southwest states, you know, like Colorado, New Mexico, California, Arizona, Utah. And I just loved looking out my window at places like this picture here of Highway 40 in Western New Mexico, or even this picture in Southern Utah. And especially I liked looking at places like this picture which is Cathedral Peak in Tuolumne Meadows, so pretty much any peak in the eastern high Sierras. And I would stare at these places, and I would imagine what it must be like to climb these rocks and mountains. And I used to actually ask my parents, hey, can we pull over one day, maybe climb one of those plateaus or one of those peaks? And, you know, they would kind of laugh at me and say, oh, maybe one day, you know. And But I was a child, and at that time, I didn't even know rock climbing was even a sport, um, and I began to actually wonder after a while, will I ever be able to climb these rocky cliffs and peaks? And even though I had a desire, I had some significant barriers to actually developing this skill. First of all, I lived in Missouri. Here's a quick picture. It's pretty flat and there's a lot of trees. I had no one to teach me. Um, there were no climbing gyms in those days, and especially not my area, and I didn't even honestly know where to even start. I had no gear, I had no money for gear, and the only exposure I'd actually had to heights up to that point in my life, I was actually pretty freaked out. So essentially, here's what I was. I was in the wrong place, I had no resources, and I didn't know the right people. Then my life changed, and it changed in two major ways. The first is I actually moved to California when I was about 18 years old. Now, at the time of this story, I'm going to tell you, I actually lived in Yosemite National Park. Here's a picture, if you haven't seen Yosemite Valley, and if there is a capital 
for climbing and hiking, it's Yosemite. And the second change is I met this guy here. This is my friend Sal, Salvatore Wilson. And Sal was a full-time rock climber who had actually been traveling around the United States for about five years at this point, living in his van, and he was climbing all throughout the United States. And he and I became friends, and he actually, to use a very Christian church term, he evangelized me into rock climbing. And he took me under his wing, and he began to teach me how to climb. Now, here's a picture of the first climb I actually ever participated in. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a 600-foot peak in Yosemite Valley called the Manure Pile Buttress. And because of my friendship with Sal, I actually had the privilege of experiencing a climb that I was years away from ever having the skill to accomplish on my own. He literally gave me a mountaintop experience. Now, meeting and climbing with Sal was kind of short-lived. Um, he and I both were transient in our Yosemite adventures, and we both went our separate ways. But that experience did something to me. He exposed me to a different way of life, a realm of life that was not recently available to me, but that I actually desired. So I went on after I left, and I tried to make a go at climbing with my own skills. And I actually, I gained some gear, and I gained some exposure. And the stuff that I learned from Sal, I tried to um, apply to my life. And I actually found some friends and exposed them to climbing and got them into it. And I, my hopes were that they would actually get better than me, and then maybe they could teach me more, better how to do it. And we actually all made some pretty significant strides in a form of climbing called sport climbing. Still very difficult, but it's easier in its alpinism than what I was trying to do. But I could never quite get the growth I needed to achieve what Sal had exposed me to, which was called traditional alpine rock climbing. And that's the long, big stuff. And then I had a realization. I realized I needed to get intentional if I really wanted to learn how to trad climb. So I, needed, I realized I really needed to invest time in finding the people who could help me grow as a trad climber. I needed to set aside a budget to slowly help me purchase the gear I needed. And I probably needed to hire some professionals to help make sure that I was correctly building the complicated anchors need needed to really climb safely. Here's a picture of a multi-pitch trad anchor, and you can kind of see the complexity there. And, and here's where I'll introduce you to my story, to what I call the double Joshes, all right? Um, the first Josh is Josh T. Here's a picture of he and I, and uh, we're on a rock called Tokwitz Rock up near Idlewild. And Josh is one of my climbing partners and lives out near Joshua Tree National Park. So Josh from Joshua Tree. And he has less years climbing experience as I do, but he is much more well-connected to the Joshua Tree climbing community, to the knowledge and to the resources to really grow as a climber. In fact, one of his extended family members is a climbing legend in that area. This is a man that I've actually heard stories of and known of for about 27 years. So Josh is a guy that is definitely further down the road in his climbing ability, his equipment skills, but close enough to me to where we can actually climb together on a regular basis and we both enjoy it. Now here's the other Josh. This is Josh F. And Josh F. is actually part of my extended family who lives up in Mammoth, California. Josh is a backcountry avalanche forecaster and he does data collection of forest health in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So this is your like mountain man, all right? Um, he is way down the road in experience to me. In fact, I'm not ever trying to become Josh F. 
Climbing with Josh F. allows me, though, to experience climbs that I'm totally not ready for myself. And he pushes me. He actually pushes my climbing forward by leaps and bounds every time I go with him. This last summer, I actually was able to do a climb with him that propelled my climbing probably a year into the future in just one day. Um, here's a picture of it. It's a wall called Crystal Crag. And I've actually dreamt of climbing this climb for about eight years. And, um, you know, now Josh must come down to my level to actually climb with me. You know, I'm sure it's fun for him still, but he has to come down to my level to match me and my skill level so I can climb with him. And so he gifts this to me. It's a gift of his time and his experience to help me grow. But because of our friendship, he's actually willing to do so. And here's a picture of me nearing the top of this climb. And see the smiles on my face? That smile actually represents the privilege of gaining the right place, the right resources, and the right people to help me grow. So now this story is an analogy of a deeper spiritual truth. But I want you to keep in mind, this is just a hobby, okay? At the end of the day, I can drop climbing. But the application of the story is not something meant to be dropped. So let's continue on here and turn a corner and see how we can apply this to our spiritual lives. In the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, we learn about a very privileged mountaintop experience that Jesus gifted and gave his inner circle of disciples, which is Peter, James, and John. On a few occasions, these three men were given the privilege of just even more time with Jesus. And that privilege came with extra instruction, more time for question and answer, but it also revealed their pride, which came with more correction, which is actually still a helpful thing. However, this experience is the kind that once fully realized is an experience that really sets a new course of direction in a person's life. Similar to my climbing experiences with Sal and Josh F. It's the kind you carry with you forward into life from that moment on that propels your growth forward by much larger steps than you can grow in normal. So let's read it here in Matthew 17, 1 through 9. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. Now, this word transfigured literally means that his physical appearance metamorphized. It changed. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, remember, these would have been the heroes of these guys' childhood. All right. If our religion was Americanism, this would be like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln appearing with Jesus, okay? So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to even be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. I mean, think about it, guys, for a moment. They actually heard the voice of God. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. 
Now, there are many things to learn from this passage, but all I want to look at today is the impact an experience like this would have had on these three men. So let's speculate and put ourselves in the shoes of Peter, James, and John just for a moment here, okay? Imagine you're them. You've left your careers and your lives to follow this man who you are pretty sure is the long-waited-for Messiah. Now, in your day and age, this whole kind of Messiah thing has gotten really entangled with um, what's currently going on politically with the Roman oppression, but you're still very hopeful. In fact, Jesus is making so much sense in his teachings, and he's doing all these great miracles. However, you're still pretty squirrely, and it may not take very much for you to hightail it and run. Um, and then you experience this. And, and we must be accurate for these guys' actual story. Um, and, and really fast forward by adding the experiences of Jesus' death and his resurrection to the mix. Remember, Jesus even told them, don't tell any, uh, anybody anything about this until he was resurrected. And I think he probably knew that these guys probably didn't have the, the right context yet to properly understand and explain what they experienced until they saw Jesus die and come back to life. Um, in fact, Peter even denied that he ever knew Jesus after his execution out of fear. And that was even after this mountaintop transfiguration experience. But imagine what the whole of these experiences and walking so closely with Jesus as their personal mentor must have done for their growth. Imagine how it would have helped them actually face future hardships after having an experience like this. How conflict and relationships could be different. You know, they were later mistreated by their local governing authorities. In fact, they were killed and exiled by the local governing authorities. Imagine how an experience like this must have helped them just move forward with the vigor of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, they actually had sight, not faith. It was incredible. You know, simply speaking, their close time with Jesus gave them the necessary growth and maturity to accomplish what God had in store for their lives. And they really got what they needed, didn't they? So let's camp on this idea of growth and maturity for a bit. To do so, though, we must start at the beginning with a question. And the question is, why bother? Why bother growing? I mean, just like in my story of climbing, I had a real desire. But it wasn't until I had some experiences that I really decided to take that desire and do something with it intentionally. So an answer to why bother growing, you know, you really have to start, um, you know, to answer this question, it really is a matter of desire and, and meaning this. What do you really, really, really want out of life? If you're going to spiritually mature, what do you really want out of life? Why bother growing? So let me ask you, and I actually wrote this on your connection card, and I want you to answer this question in a moment. Let me set it up for you. But on a good day... Not on a bad day, but on a good day. What is an attribute you currently need or want developed in your life? And I'm not talking about the stuff you can buy, um, the places you can go, or even your relationship status, um, or even if you need physical healing. I mean those qualities in life you cannot buy, but you deeply desire, like peace, joy, and fulfillment. So take a moment, think about it, and write it down on your listening guide. I'll give you a moment to do so.
Now, I don't know what you wrote down, okay? But I can bet that the context of evil and trouble in this world will make obtaining that difficult without some help, right? I don't mean to be a negative Nancy here, but I do want to focus in on one major hindrance to getting what we want out of life and why spiritual maturity is so necessary. So track with me again. Okay, my goal here is to motivate you towards spiritual life. So, and this is one of many motivations to grow spiritually that we find in the Bible, but I'm just going to zero in on one and just to kind of like get you going on this and then we'll talk about how to grow. So first of all, Job 5, 7 says this, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Well, that's a bummer, right? And then we also read in Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And the Greek word here for walk is not referring to carelessly walking down the street without a care in the world, but it's describing how a balanced beam acrobat would walk across a balanced beam. Does that sound fun to you, to have to live life with that intentionality? And then here's my favorite passage, James 1, 2 through 4. Let's see what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers. Hey, <laughs> this is a little bit different, right? I like joy. I can't wait to see what he says. So count it all my joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? Trouble brings joy? I know people hang these signs. They buy them from Hobby Lobby with this passage on their wall. But have you ever actually stopped to consider what this means? I mean, James, have you ever actually faced a trial? What are you talking about here? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. I don't know about you, but I faced some trials that were horrendous. But I actually believe and trust the Bible, so I keep reading. So I want to look for the payoff in the rest of this passage. So here we go. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. All right, so steadfastness is the payoff, right? What does that even mean, though, actually? Well, I looked it up. <laughs> and, and it's the idea of patient endurance, being able to remain steady under pressure. Imagine like a deep canyon where all of the sand and dirt and rubbish has been washed away, and any time it floods, it's just pure granite and nothing changes. That's what it means. That's a picture of steadfastness. And so let's keep reading and see what it says about the steadfastness. And this is really important. And let steadfastness have its full effect on you so that you may, may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay. I see. I see what you're saying, James. And here's what I gain from these passages. If life exists, and I just set up that it does, if life exists in the context of trouble and evil, steadfastness is one of the secret sauces to making it good. And steadfastness must be trained in us. We must grow to develop it. Now, trouble and evil are allowed to exist because mankind has rebelled against our Creator. And Jesus actually came to save us and grow us to experience attributes like steadfastness or like love, joy, peace, patience 
kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. And when you hear this list, isn't there something inside of you that just longs for these attributes? Aren't all our great stories and movies about attributes like this? And I'm willing to bet um, everything I own, in fact, even my life alone, I'm willing to bet my life that spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ brings these attributes into your life, even in the context of evil and trouble. So let's talk then about how to grow. And what I've done here is I've taken the major learning points of the passage and my story of learning to climb and given you some pointers on how to have the right experiences that will propel your growth forward. So the first two we've somewhat talked about already, and they are prerequisites to growth, but it's desire to grow. So desire growth. You must have a desire to grow. Um, This really is the prerequisite or else you you won't do it. Um, And if you don't have it, just start by asking God to grow it in you. You know, but however, don't be surprised if the desire for growth comes through the motivation of pain. Pain seems to be our best motivator, so I want to fill you with courage not to run from it. And then second is we need to then decide to grow. Once we have a desire, now we need to decide to grow. And you must be intentional about your growth. Um, just like I decided, all right, I need to invest some time, money, and resources. And the disciples actually left their lives and went and followed Jesus. They made a decision to do that. Um, we, you have to make a decision. I'm going to grow and figure out how to do this thing and get intentional about this. And then the next three here are require action and patterns that we need to enact. So, and this is how you'll kind of enact your desire to grow, your intentionality, is you need to situate yourself for growth. Um, You must put yourself in the right places for growth. So attending church, joining a group, training in different training programs here at church, serving here at OCC. These are all the right environments that will help you grow. And then number four here is buy up growth experiences. Growth experiences that propel you um, will likely cost you money, you know, resources, time. Um, So go ahead and spend it, you know. The experiences God gives you are a gift. It's not anything you've earned. So when he offers them to you, take it. Just like Jesus gave his disciples certain experiences that really helped them grow. And just like my friend Sal and Josh gave me certain experiences that really helped me grow as a climber. Those type of experiences that help you grow, you can't be different afterwards. They change you in such a way where it pushes your growth forward, where you can't go back to a time prior to. To that experience. I mean, think about Peter, James, and John. Do you think they ever went back to the same headspace as they did prior to going up on that mountain and seeing Jesus changed and seeing Moses and Elijah in their glorified heavenly state? I mean, I can't imagine the courage that that experience gave them. And then last but surely not least here is you need to find your growth mentors. All right? You must get around two types of people to help you grow. And first is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a person, and he's still very active, and you really can have a relationship with him. It looks different than if you come talk to me, but he is a person you can have a relationship with. So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet, mark this on your connection card later in the service. We'll talk about that. Or come up to the uh, you know connection table 
at the end of service and just talk to somebody. We'd love to help you figure this out. But if you already do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more privilege you will experience. And actually attempt to spend most of your growth time with Jesus. In Charles Spurgeon's devotion, Morning and Evening, on October 18th, in the morning section, he says this, and I'll kind of explain this a little bit to you. No believer who is much in the closet, now when he says closet, he means prayer closet, like people spending time with Jesus praying, will have, so no, no believer who is much in the closet will have to cry out, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. And when he says leanness, he means like spiritually weak. Starving souls live at a distance, meaning starving, they're not spending time with Jesus, live at a distance from Jesus like parched fields in a time of drought. Prevalence with God in wrestling prayer is sure to make the believer strong, if not happy. Little alone with Jesus, your religion will be shallow, polluted with many doubts and fears, and not sparkling with the joy of the Lord. Since the soul-enriching path is open to the very weakest, newest, I'll add that in there, Christian, since no high, high attainments are required, since you are not allowed to come because of an advanced Christianity, but freely invited if you are merely just a seeker of Jesus at all. In other words, guys, don't get discouraged. The immature Christian is loved and justified the same as the mature Christian and is invited to come spend time with Jesus. Your first mentor should be Jesus. He should be your first call, actually, when you need to grow. Now, your second mentor should be someone within your local church. So find someone to help you grow if you already don't have that. In fact, when you look in the Bible for how people grow, it is always with the help of the person. Um, so buy up these opportunities. Seek these people out in both organic and or even organized relationships, you know. We offer training opportunities from time to time. Join in and take them seriously. Get into a group and get to know your group leader. Or your, or your group leader assistant. You'll actually be pretty surprised by who you can learn from and who will help you grow. I would have never learned to climb without the help of a mentor. So let me close by just giving you a quick growth, you know, pro tip to, to this growth structure that I've set up for you. OCC, our church, is intentionally set up to help you grow. Unlike how I lived in the wrong place and had no resources, and didn't know the right people in order to advance at climbing? If you are here, you are in the right place. There are resources to help you grow. And there are people here to help you grow as well. So buy it up. Um, there's some next steps I'd really like you to consider as we close today. And one of those is join a neighborhood group if you haven't done so already. You can check that out on our church center um, app and our, our church center webpage. Also is decide to take a next step towards growth based on today's message. And then last but not least is consider buying up the next training opportunity that OCC offers. So I'm going to go ahead and close out in prayer and then we'll continue on with our service. Lord, thank you again for today. Thank you that we have the opportunity to really know you, to know you, God, through Jesus Christ and to have a relationship with you and you actually are really concerned with our spiritual growth, Lord. You come alongside us and you create an intentional training program for us if we desire it. 
So God, help us to desire it. Help us to intentionally take steps and to get plugged in and to take our next steps in growth with you. And in Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.